0: and welcome to the very 134th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, the podcast that's all about board games, board games, and the people who love board games. My name is Matt Lees, and today it's just me and old Quentin Smith. I'm 12 months into the
1: pandemic and I still love board
0: games, even though we've had to play them digitally for too long. It's strange. I'm actually getting to the point now where it's probably Stockholm Syndrome and I'm really enjoying playing things digitally to a degree and i think that rather than going through the early stages of being like oh it's so strange having this element that i have to now contend with i worry that when i get back to the table i'm going to be annoyed that i'm not going to be able to like resize components at will or hover over the table all at once completely being able to survey everyone's playstates and everyone's boards the right way up according to me I'm going to miss that uh,
1: functionality in Tabletop Simulator where if you, like, say, you know, you need to gain two grain, you can just Control c Control v your existing grain and just pop more grain into existence. Reaching across the table is going to feel so old-fashioned.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's become a standard question of mine now, whether I ask it overtly or ask it to myself during the teach of the game, um, of which components can I copy and paste and delete into the void of infinity (laughs) and which can't and which things are limited and which aren't and that's going to be weird not having that anymore of being like oh can I I guess I don't need this cube anymore rather than putting it back in the bag I'm just going to eradicate it from existence. That is really satisfying.
1: That said you just published a uh, review of enormous economic Chicago Simulator City of the Big Shoulders recently. Yes. And yes, in I that did. you suggested swapping the rubbish paper money out that it comes with for chips. And as soon as I saw those weighted poker chips on your table, I was like, "Ooh, you know what? Tabletop
0: simulator can do one because yes. yes. The heavy objects are nice." And yes, actually, when I was packing away that game after I finished filming the review, I did get a pang of sudden fear of thinking, "Oh gosh, like there are lots of little bits and things in this i have played this game a lot in board game arena have i you know forgotten the impact of all of these bits and how much that has an impact. But actually, I found myself lovingly putting all of the bits away in proper little bags and putting it on the box, which for me is a sign of, there's a weirdness to that. Like sometimes there's games and you have too many bits and you think, oh, this is just a faff. And then there's other games like City of the Big Shoulders and Gloomhaven where you still lovingly pack away all of the faff because some, some part of you adores that faff.
1: Matt, it's um, been 10 years of Shut Up and Sit Down, and we're still unpicking the <laughs> mysteries of what are board games. We just but don't Fundamentally,
0: know. I can actually play uh, heavy Euro games now, which I couldn't 10 years ago. So there's some progress, but not a lot. <laughs> on today's podcast, though, we're going to be talking about one game, one game only Cloud Age, or Cloudage, depending on whether or not you want to say it properly. Or wrongly.
1: You preempted me there. I was going to make the very important point that if anyone wants to Google Cloud Age, as I've had to do several times in the last few weeks, Cloud Age is one
0: word. Well, it is Cloudage then. So maybe it's Cloudage. And there's a lot of clouds in this game. A lot of talk of clouds. A lot of actual clouds. Uh, even an entity named Cloud that are, is not an actual cloud. We'll come back to all of this and more later. Um, but first of all, this is a game by Alexander Pfister, Mr. Fister, and... Mr Steinberg? Steinberg? Ah. Oh, Steinwender. I, fl- I fluffed it. Steinwender. Okay. Um and this is it's confusing because many people are calling this the third game in the Great Western Trail trilogy, which is both tremendously confusing and untrue. Simply because of the the, the idea that it's a game where you'll kind of go from one place to another and have cards in your hand? Which yes. to me doesn't feel like enough of a a connection to say that this is a trilogy of Wild West cowboy-style games. Oh, frankly. my God.
1: Let's get into the weeds for a second. So if you're the trilogy you're talking about is um, starts with Great Western Trail and then is followed by Maracaibo, which is quite similar to Great Western Trail, although we don't think it's as good. And Cloud Age is not the third game in that series. This also has nothing to do with the actual Great Western Trail second edition trilogy that will be coming out in future because they're turning Great Western Trail into three games. My gosh, board games are complicated. The best thing we can say to prepare you for this discussion of Cloud Age is it's not like anything else that uh, has been designed by Alexander Pfister or anyone, really. It's an interesting, interesting game. Matt, shall I explain what you do in Cloud Age? Go for it. Okay, in Cloud Age, you are a Zeppelin, or possibly the crew of a Zeppelin. It doesn't particularly matter. And there's been some kind of apocalypse which has rendered the world a kind of burnt shade of orange and nothing's nothing's growing anymore except humans which are persisting on the ground in the form of little settlements. Now in this game your zeppelin is represented by a beautiful uh, wooden figure and you're going to be sailing it around the very horizontal and not very wide world of Cloud Age doing stuff that gets you points. You are going to get points from uh, fighting the evil forces of, get this, Cloud which is a a mind-blowing decision the developers have made, that it's a game about clouds, featuring clouds, and the bad guys are called clouds. Um, But you can get points from other things. You can get points from planting greenery, or from upgrading your Zeppelin, or from making use of the game's big old deck of cards, which are all upgrades for your Zeppelin. Things like pistols that you can shoot from your Zeppelin, or engineers, or engines, or what else, medallions? Uh, There's a really quite wide variety of stuff to get, and pay for, and equip. Uh, and how are you gonna be paying for this stuff? You're gonna be paying for it with water, which is kind of the main uh, economy of Cloud Age. And, oh, cause it's an Alexander Pfister game, this might not surprise you, but there's a lot of funny, weird, interlocking economies in Cloud Age. For example, every Zeppelin can create water from electricity. You can get electricity from engines or your solar panel. The solar panel can instead be used to speed up the propellers that move your Zeppelin um there's a lot going on there's a lot going on but i want to start this discussion um by talking about the theme of cloud age matt if that's okay with you yeah because as euro games go which we always joke you know euro games are traditionally about shuffling cubes around 17th century germany um that's not an exaggeration i literally just reviewed a game called the hands of Mm. which is about exactly that oh 13th century germany whatever nerds But Cloud Age is pretty interesting because it's a Euro game, which is traditionally this sort of fustian genre with themes that are usually a bit dry and drab. But instead, we've got this like Mad Max theme in which we can shuffle cubes around. And I thought that was pretty cool. It felt pretty experimental.
0: Crucially, it still has a monk track. (laughs) <laughs> a monk track? Does it, it? Oh, you're kidding! You're playing with the words. I am. Yeah, you're no, teasing I'm, them. I'm, I'm playing. I, I, but I imagine if it did. Imagine if it had a monk track. And if you get all the way around to the the Pope, then you get fifty points at the end of the game.
1: The, no, but it would it, it, be cool in Cloud Age. It would be like the the Cloud Pope who lives the in the cloud clouds.
0: Pope. Yeah, I, yeah. The theming is really interesting. Um, in the fact that you are flying these little zeppelins over a place and doing stuff involving scrap and water and just collecting up electricity from abandoned power stations it's interesting and i think actually much like when we played um blackout hong kong Uh, it's immediately quite exciting to just be playing that kind of game but with a setting that is not just you know the, the settings that are used are kind of like the four or five big ones <laughs> oh, being... Should we name them? So we've got, um, <laughs> uh, co- got...
1: colonising a country
0: yep. in the 18th century. You've got vanilla monk action. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've of... got yep. agricultural action with a side of monk action. Oh, this is so perfect.
1: Actually, are those the three themes? I think there might just it be Might three. be the only three, yeah. I, I think, think that's feel it. like... Oh, no, the fourth one is like uh, industrial revolution in the 19th century.
0: Yes, Industrial capitalism. Yes, yes, okay. Um, We've named all the which you could Euro say games. that's kind of like economic colonialism, but that's a bigger conversation for another day. I don't really know the answer to that. I just said it. It sounds clever. It might be really dumb.
1: Who Bef- knows? You know what? This is we're impoverished as well, Matt. Because before Shadow of the was founded, Eurogames would occasionally venture into ancient history, but
0: they've since stopped doing that. I guess because it was too <laughs> exciting. Well, there are enough distinct areas of Germany to make games about specifically about <laughs> them. That they're, they're going to be on that for a while, I believe. Uh,
1: um, Hey, we haven't actually mentioned one of the coolest things Cloud Age does with its theme, which is a mechanic I forgot to mention. So imagine, if you will, you're in this zeppelin within the the story of Cloud Age, and you're looking down at these cities, which you're sort of flying between. And what the game does here is... Goodness me, this really is an Alexander Fister game because I've just realized there's a whole other mechanic I have to explain to even explain this mechanic. Your Mm -hmm. Zeppelin has a deck of cards. Not to be confused with a deck of upgrade cards, things like medallions and guns you can equip. It has a deck of cards which are really just numbers. So the distribution you start with is like 0, 1, 1, 2, 2, 3. And you're going to be flipping these cards off the deck when you try and move and get into fights. But you have the ability to make this deck better and improve it with higher numbers because when you end your turn over a city, you can uh, draw a card from that city to sort of add to your deck if you like and these cards also have resources on however because you're in your zeppelin you're looking down at these cities you don't really know quite what's in that city you don't know what resources are available and the way that the game models this and this is truly fabulous i was not sold on this mechanic at all when i first learned it but the game comes with a, a plastic sleeve that you put the little decks of cards that you'll draw from in and these sleeves have cloud stickers on them which obscure most of what's on the card. So what this is in the game is you're like, oh, I want to draw a card from one of these three decks, but there's like, I can tell, looking through the cloud stickers, I can kind of tell that this one has like a lot of water. This one has some scrap metal. This one, I think, has some electricity. Um, But then when a player decides, okay, I want this card and I'm going to take the water from it, other players can say, okay, well, I'll take the metal from this card. And I'll take the, uh, you know, the, the electricity. Thematically, st- when we get into the nitty gritty, this makes no sense. All the Zeppelins are in different places. Why are we all taking resources from the same town? Yeah, yeah. But practically speaking, the game mechanic of squinting past a sticker to guess what you're going to get, like peeking through rips in a Christmas present, is way more fun than I thought.
0: Oh, it's it's fabulous. It's, it's probably one of my favourite game mechanics new game mechanics i've seen in years um it works so wonderfully just in the fact that you'd look at this and you choose you think well there's no water on that card you see a tiny bit of a river at the top of it or a tiny bit of a pool and you think well i'm not taking the water on that card because there's no water on it but you never know when there might just be a massive lake in the middle of the car underneath <laughs> the clouds and sometimes it's what you expect sometimes you know you look at it and you think well look this card is a four card that would be great to have in my deck, but I might take this card that's only a two, because you can see around the edge it will be almost gilded with this this mess of metal, which means you know <laughs> you know it's going to have a large amount of metal on on that card. You know it might be a bit of a trick and it might only have two, but chances are you know that is going to be the resource that has three of a kind because I think most of the time it's always the one resource is three two of them are one and one of them's two but maybe the distribution is even funkier than that no i think it's exactly that every time okay um but what's lovely is as you say because everyone in turn order afterwards chooses what they want until everyone playing is getting something from that card more often than not your misfortune is someone else's fortune like someone else picks the last thing and is like okay i'll take that and then they get something wonderful that they that they weren't expecting they get you know two resources and a free bonus that lets them build an upgrade and and you know
1: what it reminds me of is you know um christmas crackers where, yeah uh, like when you pull them and you can feel you've got a really good grip and you're like oh i'm gonna get the christmas cracker and then it pops and you're left holding nothing that's like yeah. exactly the emotional feeling of getting bummed out by a card in uh, cloud age
0: exactly and i think the the nice little wrinkle that encourages you towards making potentially bad choices is the fact that you've got these um on each card there are two little symbols one that's a spanner and one that's like an a iconography of a, removing a card and if you choose the area that that icon is on then you get to do that power and one of them is the spanner lets you build an upgrade to improve your ship and the uh remover card lets you get rid of a card from your deck which early on in the game and really at most points in the game is pretty huge especially if you can get rid of that blasted zero in your deck early on because nobody wants a zero No. Um, But it means that you get a little bit greedy with it. You'll be like, well, I kind of need the metal, but I could do with some electricity. And there is that icon in the electricity. And then you take it, and the electricity is rubbish. And actually, (laughs) you've made a bad call. But that whole mechanic um, is delightful. Uh, If we've got
1: you excited about Cloud Age, there's one more uh, thing to tell you about it um, structurally, which is that this game comes with a relatively ambitious you know, for a Euro game, story. It has a little campaign that you play through. And if what we're describing sounds like, oh, there's a lot of mechanics going on. There are, but if you choose to play in the story, which is probably how we'd recommend, you don't even start with them all. So every game of Cloud Edge you play is going to have these little cards you flip where, you know, the winner of the game will decide whether, oh, we're gonna help this town or they're gonna fend for themselves. And then, The second and third games of this campaign, however many games it is, introduce new mechanics until finally, by mission 3, you're playing the full game. And then for the rest of the campaign, there's little changes to the map. There are little cards that are added to the deck. So every time you play Cloud Age, there'll be um, little fragments of new things little bits of story, which I thought was really quite cute. Um, Alexander Pfister experimented with this in Blackout Hong Kong and I believe Expedition to Newdale. But this is uh, the campaign sort of at its most ambitious and I think it it works really nicely. I think it's pretty cool. So there's like between the theme and this stupid cloud sticker mechanic on the decks and the campaign, this is really quite an innovative and ambitious Euro game. And I want to... Uh, loud it for that before
0: I start telling the people at home that I didn't like it very much. <laughs> That's really interesting. I actually landed on uh, on a slightly different coin side to that. So actually, why don't you go ahead and talk about this stuff a little bit, and I'll, I'll see what you have to think.
1: Oh, goodness me, um, I guess I found it. Um... When I first played Cloud Age, I was really excited because um, the the turn structure of it, which is, you know, to begin with, you flip cards from your deck, and then you power your little Zeppelin, you go flip, 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 flip and you move the Zeppelin around the board. You don't have to go flip, 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 but I do, because that's the sound of propellers. And then you're going to get into combat, which is exciting, as you flip cards off your decks. And then you're going to get this reward phase where you either draw cards or get upgrades, and... Whatever any player picks, other players around the table get different rewards. So that's sort of, there's this fun sense of upgrading your Zeppelin, which is nice, but also that your friends, your opponents are giving you more upgrades, which is nice. Um, And then you get to run your steam engine and turn electricity into water and maybe victory points. Um, And every step in that process was fun. I think by the second game, and I was so excited to play it for the second time, but by the second game... I felt that that structure, which I felt so rewarding, was kind of maybe hemming me in a little bit. Like, it was the same thing every time. Mm. And by the end of my second game, um, I don't think think I have anything particularly uh, intelligent to say, you know, critically speaking.
0: But by the end of the second game, I didn't feel an urge to play a third game. Whereas you did. You did. Yeah, so I was interested to play it again um, because... I felt like I hadn't had a chance to engage with all of the mechanics and play around with the systems. And also, I was intrigued to see where it was going to go with this kind of campaign thing. Where did Um, it go? It didn't really go anywhere, which is kind of a combination of disappointment and coming to terms with what it was and actually enjoying it. I think that really, I can see what you're saying about feeling like there's not, much to explore there in terms of it being like well you can do this or you can do this you know you, you can you can get really good at flying a ship very fast or you can get really good at having loads of guns um and i think that that's kind of true the third time i played it i went absolutely hell to leather for upgrading my ship's capacity to turn electricity and presumably clouds into water and points that i could then thrive on i got myself all the way along that track and then found the game quite interesting because then it was actually less about me trying to have fights and trying to do what we were doing in the early game of going area to area and beating the locals in order to get some prizes um, and actually became just about me continually making sure i had enough energy to keep that system running because it was costing me six electricity the start every turn which was pretty untenable so that did change it up but i still do feel um, very similarly about the nature of it, feeling like the scope of the game gets smaller, or at least doesn't expand as you play it more and more, and I actually feel like this is something we landed on in the same way for the same reasons with Blackout Hong Kong.
1: Yes, I so I I agree, and I wanted to make this exact point, but I want to first apologize to Arno Steinwender who is uh, Alexander Fister's co-designer on Cloud Age. So this is a two-person game. But now Matt and I are going to do the rude thing and compare it to Alexander Fister's previous Euro games because I have something to <laughs> say to compare this to um, Great Western Trail.
0: Well, I think it's actually it's 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 something we see in a bunch of games. I think it's just the the comparison here is is quite easy because it's it's right there. Um, but I think that sometimes there's a tendency when you you put too much theme into it, too much character into stuff, it doesn't leave you enough room within that to project and have fun with it. And I feel like the weakness of Cloud Age actually um, is the way it's trying to build a world and trying to tell a story Hmm. Um, and not really managing to do it well enough to reap the benefits of that. But the issue is that with the downside, you get a lot less sense of you doing something yourself. Like the, the, the bottom line is with something like Great Western Trail, what are you doing? I'm getting some cool cows. I'm winning some awards <laughs> for my cool cows. And maybe I'm building a train line across America, I think. It's been a yep, while. Yeah. To get my cows as far away from me as possible. Or <laughs> like I'm building up some buildings on this trail. It's all like mechanical. It's all very iconography-based. It's all simple. And I think the issue with what Cloud Age does is as soon as you start having cards where it's like EMP Blaster or this, this, and having cards with this art that give you a very specific sense. And often in many cases, characters of being like, this is the engineer lady. This is the lady that does this. It's cool the first time, but then the second time it feels repetitive more rapidly because rather than playing an abstract game where you're using yellow cards and blue cards and doing combos with green cards, you see a glimpse of this world and then that's the only, that's the only world you're going to see. You're going to keep seeing those cards again and again and it makes the world feel smaller the more you play it. Yeah, yeah.
1: You need to leave room for imagination and openness and most importantly, interpretation of exactly.
0: uh, occurrences on the table. Exactly. And I think that is where it can quite rapidly feel slightly disappointing. I think when you combine that with this kind of mission-based thing in the fact that, you know, not going to be around the bush, the writing is not that great. Um, no. in any regard and as you play through as well some of the stuff isn't entirely clear in terms of what you're doing um in terms of like do we do we we unlocked a lady in that last mission who went in someone's hand is that person now in the deck permanently or not like we just didn't really know it wasn't clear what it was trying to do in terms of a campaign and i think when i played it on the basically the fourth campaign mission I realized that actually you kind of need to ignore that. What the campaign within it does is maybe similar to, let's say, the little extra deck you can get for Power Grid does in terms of just... Oh, or like uh, what Uwe Rosenberg
1: does where when you play, you can swap out the deck for a different deck. Yeah. Although I think what Cloud Age does is less interesting because with an Uwe Rosenberg game, you swap out the entire deck. It's one of the things that he does that's so amazing as a designer because that's so much work. But with Cloud Age, you get, you know, a couple of new cards... One of the new locations changes ever so slightly. You know, hearing you talk about the narrative in the story, I think there is this idea among uh, maybe designers or publishers who don't have much experience doing these like narrative-heavy themes. It's the post-apocalypse. You're flying a zeppelin. What's exciting about you know Mad Max is not that everything is orange. It's it's the drama inherent in that. It's you know if we look at say Fury Road, what's exciting about Fury Road is you know there's not enough water. These characters want different things. Drama is exciting. Setting is not necessarily exciting. Characters aren't exciting. Character motivations no. are exciting. And if you have no experience telling a story, I think you get something like Cloud Age, which looks as you go in, like, oh, this is gonna tell a great story. And it's not, it's like lots of disparate elements that make up a story, but don't actually have any craft in any way.
0: But I think what was interesting is that I I kind of made peace with that in the, the fourth scenario when what that added, Slight spoilers, but it added a tiny sliver of cardboard that went between two of the other bits of cardboard and created an extra space on the track, which you had to go through and pay some sort of fee to get through um, a toll Oh, like a, it, it added a toll booth. In, in the sky. But it had a nice mechanic in the fact that, depending on which space you went through that toll booth, you had to pay different things, which mm. was, again, like slightly interesting on the route side. But I think what I realised there was... I was playing it again because I wanted to see where it was going with that and then I kind of realized oh it isn't really going anywhere with this it's just that when you play it again it has slightly different mechanics slightly different ideas slightly different tilts in terms of like what resources this game am I going to have to get some more of in order to Keep getting those point bonuses throughout the game, or I realized I didn't really need any more than that. And I realized that my my kind of initial disappointment in the second game of being like, I've seen this deck already. Now there's nothing exciting thematically about this that's going to pop out at me. There's all these different towns and post-apocalyptic sounding cities on the board but you never really get the sense of going to any of them you just like hover over them but actually i just realized that when i stopped expecting anything new or when i stopped expecting anything interesting to happen i realized that actually like it's just really it's a really fun game like i really love the flow of it like it's got that great Western Trail thing of everything you do just being fun, like upgrading your ship, flipping a thing over. It's fun. Like playing loads of cards and getting bonuses. Moving along that slightly wonky steam track that lets you turn electricity into water, even just moving a little piece along. It's fun. And the whole mechanic of, of everyone basically doing everything pretty much simultaneously and then having this excitement around the shared choosing of resources and the oh no and the uh, yeah and the celebrations of that. I actually kind of i came i came around the curve in a different way and i kind of landed being like actually i like this this is fun like it's not amazing like it's and i think that's the difficult thing is i think that because sometimes when you do take these mechanical systems and add a narrative ongoing experience to them they can become these transcendent incredible memorable things and i don't think that i don't think that cloud age is is either of those things um, but I think it's really fun. I definitely like it a lot more than um, uh, Blackout oh, Hong Kong or Maracaibo, presumably. Which you did. Yeah, Maracaibo was just like well, it was just bland. It was uh, uninteresting. You
1: know, I think the thing that I'm not not looking for in Cloud Age, but what what distinguishes it from the Alexander Fister games that I like, which would be Isle of Sky and Great Western Trail, and to a lesser extent, Broom Service. Um, is that those three games I just named are incredibly interactive. You know, I think for me, what makes Great Western Trail sing is the way that when players, you know, put buildings down in Great Western Trail, it it gets in everybody's way. You know, the the struggle for control of the board in Great Western Trail is so huge. And, you know, some of that interactivity spills over into its other mechanics. With Cloud Age Everybody is so divorced from everybody else. I think it's it's a particularly uninteractive Euro. You know, like, you can reward one another by depending on what you pick. You know, the players are always kind of accidentally giving one another, like, little packets of metal or little build actions. But I didn't feel like... Like, if you played this with two players, I don't know if it would feel
0: drastically different to playing it with four. I, I... No, no, I, I completely agree with this, actually. Like I think this is the one point where really what I would say about this as a criticism is that the theme for this game is completely wrong. When I played it the other day with Tom, his, his statement about halfway through the game, he was like... He's like, this is really chill. I was, I was not expecting this game to be really chill. And Considering it's, like, it's no. a
1: game where like you have like seven massive fights with militia firing guns at your zeppelin,
0: like there's no yeah, and, and damage like, at any
1: point. There's no pain. No. There's no death.
0: It's like the, it's just it is, it's it is really chill. It's, and actually, I think that's why I like it. It's like it's fast. It's breezy. It is chill and that's great but yeah the idea it's like water is the new economy and you have to fight each other and and all of the places are called like bad bastard zone and stuff and it's like it's just it's a, it's a weird mismatch and i think that this mechanic this idea of sending drones down and not being able to see through the clouds to see what resources are in the places absolutely fabulous um but yeah it's it's that that's that's a failing of theme frankly because it's it's there's no sense of, of, of board presence or blocking. I mean, frequently what would happen is somebody would end up landing in exactly the space you wanted to be in, or they would end up covering a space with greenery that you were planning to fly through and get some points next round. But no one was ever really doing that thinking that that's what you were going to do it would just be it would always just be a, a side effect it would be like oh you've gone where i was going to go and it wouldn't at no point would anyone turn around and say yes that's exactly what i thought would happen it was just an accident you know does have a very nice cover i must be coming to the end of what
1: i have to say about cloudage because <laughs> now i'm just kind of like staring at the box uh, on board game geek counterpoint like... lovely pictures counterpoint it looks nice i like turning a dusty desert green with plants uh I'm, I'm sort of i guess i, I i'm i'm getting nervous because I've, I've run out of things to say matthew and that's weird for a game that's so with so many weird discrete moving parts it's so unique and yet it's kind of i i, I don't know it, it's just it bleh that's my review of cloud age it's
0: just bleh yeah i i think i think i think i like it a lot more than that i think it just it doesn't how many um, Blairs out of Blair do you get? Oh, I don't know. Like, maybe only, like, a quarter of a Blair. Like, Whoa. I think it's really fun. I'd really love to play it in person. Um, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to stick something on my nose right now because there's somebody outside the door who wants to take away some samples from my Can face. We, really? Yeah. Can we do this live? Can you stick I mean, something I'm,
1: up your nose live on the I podcast?
0: I am right now. And now I'm going to put it at the back of my throat. I did wrong it all right. Is it
1: happening me. now? How far is it deep in your nose now?
0: Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Uh. Sorry if you were excited to hear Matt's throat noise. Uh, I had to remove it from the podcast because that is how disgusting it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sorry about that. The, the, I
1: don't think you uh, expected uh, the sound that that would make on your mic <laughs> when you stuck that up there. I have
0: to go and ask questions. Okay. They, I don't have to go and
1: answer any questions this time, which
0: is great. Um, so, wait, hang on, Matt. For for science,
1: oh. someone just... Yeah. A gov- government employee? Just it's the National Office of Statistics entered your house and said, "Can I stick this up your nose?" And you said, no, "Yes, sir."
0: No, I, I, yeah, pr- I mean, pretty much. If you if you if you if you're hot on the list with the facts, then that's exactly what happened. Um, but no, I'm 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 taking part in uh, the Office of National Statistics study into COVID, which means i don't really understand how it works i guess they have a distribution of people who have different lifestyles and different backgrounds etc and i guess i'm one of the people who is not really doing anything and so that's valuable data somehow. <laughs> i don't know all Did I you know tell is them that... that you're actually publishing very popular board game reviews <laughs> on i YouTube. mean maybe that's why they're like this this chap is in the top one percent of board game youtubers we need to have this data uh, about his immune response to this particular virus I don't understand it. Listen, I don't understand science. All I know is that the people are like, hey, can we come round to your house and you stick something up my nose once a week um, and answer some questions every week? And I was like, yeah, sure.
1: Your sacrifice is going to inspire uh, our audience. Matt, on the subject of uh, National Offices of Statistics doing mm-hmm. uh, research into cover by sticking things up your nose, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the announcement that there are going to be three new
0: versions of Great Western Trail coming out? quite honestly confused i didn't know this this is actually news to me Can like right now oh yes
1: absolutely i, I love nothing
0: more than i Switch knew there things. was a new version because it had not the weird plasticine people on the front of it but this <laughs> but three versions i missed that
1: yeah so uh great western trail second edition will contain new art design and some tweaks and it has this really lovely um box art which is like um they've made it wide with a a band of a strip of color like green color I think or blue maybe along the top and bottom of the box so the box art of a man and his cows and the range is like in widescreen because it's kind of inspired by <laughs> western movies mm-hmm. um so that's oh you oh, you're not
0: impressed that's because you haven't seen the art you better go well, and look at it right now well i mean it's not though is it like again it's like if great western trail had a game where it was trying to be really gritty in like the west it wouldn't really
1: what? Stop Work. being
0: negative. Look at okay. Look. This is just what we've talked about. The reason it works is because it's a bland cow uh, thing for you to put your cow dreams onto. No, you're wrong. This is going to be fine. Look, look at the artwork. I know. Right. I mean, admittedly, all right. Okay. No, it's not though. It's not being gritty. This is all some soft colours and some look at some that and purple. Look at the font purples. of the logo. The, the Argentina uh, artwork is beautiful. Those pinks, those purples chasing that cow. So this is what they've announced. In 2021, Great Western Trail 2nd Edition will come
1: out. No surprises there. New art, maybe some mechanical tweaks. Um, But then in 2022, they're releasing a standalone sequel called Great Western Trail Argentina. A game about moving cows to Argentina, I guess. We're all going to learn a lot about Argentinian city names that we didn't know before. But then in 2023... I was talking about this a couple of podcasts ago. Great Western Trail, New Zealand is coming out, and you're not going to be taking cows around the world. You're going to be taking sheep. You're going to have a deck of sheep. You're going to learn about different breeds of sheep. I am
0: amped for yeah, Great that, Western Yeah, uh, no, I, this, yeah, great. This looks good. I'm hoping it's going to be. My thoughts on this would be: I'm hoping it's going to be a bit like the Azul uh, extended universe of it being like a bunch of different games that are basically quite similar but a bit different and you just choose the one you want and you don't have to be like kind of weirdly collectory about it I really hope it becomes like the console wars uh where you know
1: because <laughs> na- like it's all like you know the version of an rpg you play where when it's a commercial product that people tend to only own one of they become weirdly tribal about it and I want to like different members of team shut up and sit down to own different versions of Great Western Trail second edition and we can all be bitter about our version
0: being the best one
1: or grumpy that we didn't get the one we want.
0: Yeah I mean I'm thinking at the moment like Argentina looks pretty spicy but then also New Zealand looks like it might be incredibly chill. This is kind of this is like an act
1: of evil genius from from the publishers because like they're putting out the, the second edition of Great Western Trail first which will a lot of people will probably get But I think, really, people would much rather have a different tweaked game. They'd rather have Argentina, so then they'll Mm. probably buy Argentina. And then they're going to have to buy New
0: Zealand because of the little sheeps. However, I have just realised, that if you look at the first two boxes in this three series, Mm. uh, what would you say the represented colours of those first two would be? Blue in the first one, and Mm -hmm. then a sort of dusky rouge in the second one. So blue and red, followed up with green. Now, Now, is it possible that they're doing the pokemon thing and all of these games will be exactly the same but in the green one your starting animal is a sheep uh i mean it's possible it's, it's possible. possible that's it's all i'm possible. saying
1: alexander Fister did put out um cloud age which is just a bonkers design so clearly the man I think, can't be trusted
0: i think 2024 they're going to bring out great western trail yellow edition where instead of having cows you have a single pikachu Oh, my God. Well, that is all we have time for today on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. If you are enjoying the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast being weekly, we've had a whole bunch of people getting in contact actually to tell us that they have. Had lots of emails, had lots of tweets, had lots of people knocking on my window at night. I think that's unrelated. (laughs) But um, if you're loving that, then, you know, let people know. You can let us know, you can let other people know if you've got friends who are interested in board games and interesting conversations about that stuff. You could go and give us a review on any of the platforms that we may be on. I'm kind of out of touch with that if I'm entirely honest.
1: Well, hey, this is what i got to tell people. People need to know the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast is in a war right now because people think, I don't need to review this podcast. It's already the number one board game podcast and you're right and you're a handsome person listening to this but we are currently trying to get up not just the board game charts but the entertainment podcast charts. We want to get up those charts so that people go shut up and sit down that sounds like a rude and bad name what they talk about board games and then that is how we're going to get new listeners and we're going to tell them that board games are pretty good and we can spread the love of this hobby and you will help us to do that by writing what we like to call
0: a review and when we are the most entertaining podcast in the world i will become president of board games and, and make board games mandatory and you will no longer have to
1: have things stuck up your nose for money
0: no i mean i'm not doing it for money i'm doing it for the love Matt, of sticking things up my nose it people <laughs> okay, okay, although i fine. did, i do i think get like i get a, a job i'm gonna get a voucher that i might spend at john lewis i think I spend what it you get a voucher
1: for So you? they are paying
0: you yeah a little bit yeah a little bit H- how much it's like 25 quid a time
1: what you made this sound like it was a some big sacrifice for you and you're getting a Johnny well, lewis voucher you
0: have to you have to be in is the thing they have you have to agree to do it every week and you have to be in i can't go out to raves or parties or, or anything like that listen like i'm not you know like, how many
1: times are you doing it how many times are you get in this sweet 25 pound pay? like once
0: a week sometimes once a week for the last yeah. six months no actually i've only done it three times they just they they come and go they sometimes they call you sometimes they don't so, and it's one of those things where I think if they call you and you can't do it, you're off. You're out. Right. Um, what are you going to buy from John Lewis? Uh, probably a pan.
1: Don't you have enough pans, Matt? Uh, yes. I want one of those silver pans that has no coating on it whatsoever that chefs use. Yeah, I've got um, them. Them, plural. You're awful. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. Good night.
0: Bye. <laughs>